Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Today we're concluding our three-week series called Money Wisdom. As we've seen, the Bible has a lot to say about money and what we do with it. Each week, Pastor Nicole has been joined by a special guest to help discuss what the Bible says about God, wealth, and life. In the first week, Pastor Nicole and Steve Frank shared what's better than wealth. And last week, she was joined by Pastor Quint Lindblad, and they discussed the role that honesty plays in both our finances and our relationship with God. Today, Pastor Nicole is joined by Pastor Al Detter, and they're going to discuss what our priorities around wealth should be. Because as we'll see, how we handle our finances is a major indicator of how we feel towards God. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. Today, we are concluding a series from the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is a book that focuses on character. In fact, no more, uh, no book in the Bible is more focused on the development of godly character. I think often it's easy to keep our faith um, at maybe a abstract level or a theoretical level, but the emphasis of Proverbs is like is this, acquire the wisdom and then apply it. Acquire the wisdom and then do it because faith is what we do. It's what we walk out. It's the things that we actually act on. And so we've been centering our conversations about what Proverbs says, particularly about money or wealth. Proverbs talks a lot about many topics, but this topic we've been talking about is particularly about that. Um, And over these last few uh, weeks, I've asked for some help uh, from some very wise people. And today I have Pastor Al Detter in the house. And so I'm really excited. Uh, Pastor Al is a legend in Erie, okay? Um, I've met so many people who have said to me, um, it was Pastor Al who walked me through this dark time. It was Pastor Al who prayed me through this dark time. And so before I even met him, I knew of his kindness. I knew of his pastoral heart. He has made a huge mark in our community. And his knowledge of the scripture, his heart for the gospel, his willingness to invest in young pastors like me has been such a blessing to me. And um, our friendship and mentorship has been just so such a blessing. So would you welcome Pastor Al? You already did, but clap for him one more time. I am so humbled by what you said there. It's amazing that God's grace extends even when you don't think you're capable of doing things and uh, God is there. It's so good to be here today. I've had over four decades of a relationship with this church, especially through your pastors, way back to Pastor Larry Albanese, then Jeff Bronner, and then um, Jack Reiser, and now you, Pastor Nicole. And they've all been good friends, and, and, and it's part of the bigger kingdom of God. In fact, I was pastor at Grace Church for 35 years, and uh, all those years we had a great relationship with Erie First, and it's just great to see this larger kingdom of God. By the way, I, I want to tell a little story on Pastor Nicole. Um, she oh. went to Israel <laughs> with my group in 2017, and everything was going along really, really well until we got to Mount Carmel. We had lunch. And then we tried to get back on the bus, but the bus broke down. So the bus driver did everything he could. Now it was my turn. And what does a Baptist pastor do with a broken down bus? He calls the charismatic pastors in the group and gets them there. So I called on Pastor Nicole and Pastor Jim Dumont, and we laid hands on that bus for a yes, healing. We did. <laughs> Literally, we yes, did. Yes, we did. Yeah, and um, it didn't get healed. Yeah. But 
Within minutes, cars began to appear. And they were going to take us to Mount Carmel. And we went up there as a group. And then all of a sudden, the bus, another bus showed up, took us back to Jerusalem. But I want you to know, when you cry out to God, he'll answer your prayer. It may not be the way you thought, but uh, there was a healing that day, wasn't Amen. there? Yes, yeah. there sure was. There sure was. Well, I love that. Thank you for those kind words. Um, oh, we... one thing if I can say before. Sure. Kind words. Yes. I've been coming to Erie first for the last number of Sundays, mm -hmm. and people say, why do you go there? Because I said, something's happening there. Amen. The Spirit of God amen. is moving. Do you know that the Spirit of God is moving in this church? That's right. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. That's it's just so wonderful. I want you to know that as a church, something's happening here. Amen. Well, we are really believing the best is even yet to come, and so little overwhelmed by that. <laughs> Thankful to Jesus. So anyway, as we're talking about Proverbs, um, we know that the Bible is the literal uh, God breathed. It's the word of God. We know that's from 2 Timothy 3.16. And so as we read and as we study um, the Bible, uh, Pastor Al and I, when we got together to prepare, we had this conversation about how important it is to understand the genres within it. Because not every book of the Bible can be read the same. Some are, some are facts, some are narratives, some are poetic. And so as we read through Proverbs, what is something that we have to understand or read through the lens of? Um, and you had just such a great insight into that. So I thought, I wondered if you would share this with them of how we okay. should read the book of Proverbs. Thank you. Well, there's great wisdom in the book of Proverbs and great wisdom to understand it so that we can get it correctly. You know, I love the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom literature. And I don't say this to brag, but I read the book of Proverbs over a hundred times. Why do I read it? Because I desperately need its wisdom, especially in this modern day and age where the world's wisdom seems to be taken over. We need the wisdom of God. But i got to be very clear on something. What is a proverb? What is the nature of a proverb? If you don't understand this, you can be expecting things that God would do that he never intended to do. And if you don't think rightly about proverbs, then sometimes you can get angry at God because it seems like he failed you. So you need to understand the nature of a proverb. So let me give you a definition. Small one, this is original with me. A proverb is a condition of high probability, both positive and negative. A condition of, of um, high probability, both positive and negative. What do I mean? I mean that a proverb is almost always true, it's generally true about what it says, but it is not a 100% ironclad promise of God. And we have to understand that. So uh, I, I want to take, for instance, today a proverb or two, today's proverbs. If you honor God with your wealth, you'll have full barns and overflowing wine. Now, the condition will happen many times, but it does not mean that God's going to lay on everybody a whole lot. Because there are times that God makes us go through valleys and difficulties, and we don't have a lot there. And the reason he takes us places where we don't have a lot is we, he wants us to trust him and to need him. So there are times it doesn't always Go that way. Take this, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Will that happen 100% of the time? No, it will not. We want it to, but it doesn't always happen that way. I've known lots of adult kids who keep on strand. I know some of the, the parents who died, they never saw a turnaround, and it never did happen. And so most of the time, a proverb will come to pass, but we can't make it an ironclad, absolute, 100% promise of God. 
Now, a proverb doesn't just talk about the positive things. It talks about the negative probabilities, too, of the conditions. And so you're going to see proverbs on the adulterer, the lazy person, the glutton, the liar, the gossip, a big mouth. And is the outcome of what it says about these people and categories absolutely going to happen? No, but you can generally bank on it. And so a proverb, a proverb is a principle of life that happens most of the time, but not all of the time. And so if we don't understand that, we're liable to put God on the hook for things he never promised, and then we're going to have a feeling of ill will towards mm. God. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so that's why it's so important as we read Proverbs to understand that, that that was what God had in mind, that these are principles. Um, so as we read through Proverbs today, as we look at this, I want you to keep those thoughts in mind. Um, we're going to take a proverb from chapter 3 today. And actually, in the very beginning of the chapter, uh, the writer explains that if we put the Lord first in our life, if we exalt him of, of the highest above all things, then peace will penetrate our lives. So when we experience this peace, it will make our lives feel more full, more rich, uh, more purposeful than anything we could ever own, anything we could ever store, anything we could ever earn. And so the word that the author uses in this chapter of Proverbs for peace is the word shalom. Now, shalom means so much more than just the absence of trouble. It means so much more than just the absence of, of war. Shalom means order, harmony, and deep rest. It's this multidimensional uh, thing. It, it describes this well-being of both physical, spiritual, social, mental, emotional. It's, it flows right from a, a relationship with God, uh, a right relationship with God that understands who God is and who you are, <laughs> and very healthy understanding of what each other's role is. And what the writer is saying is that this peace is far more valuable than any wealth that anyone could ever attain. And so after the author explains, look, peace is the ultimate reward, he writes this proverb I want us to look at this morning, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, that reads, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. All right, so Pastor Al, tell us about what you initially read when you see this this proverb, what do you okay. think? You really want me to be honest with yes, you? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> My initial impulse when I read this is that it does not apply to me. I'm not wealthy. I don't raise crops. I don't have a barn and I don't have vats. So it must not be for me. But then I realized, seriously, there's a transferable principle here about honoring God with our possessions and our finances in the 21st century or back in the 10th century BC. It all applies the same way. Now, if you know enough about my preaching, I always distill a sermon into one main idea. I call it the big idea, the main point. And I did that for this text, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. And here's the big idea. How we handle our finances is a major indicator about how we feel towards God. How we handle our finances is a major indicator about how we feel towards God. Now, we tend to show people how we feel about them and what we think about them by how we treat them. And so we treat them well. We say, hey, I, I feel really good about you. We don't treat them so well. I don't feel really good about you. And so the way we treat people reveals how we really feel about them, including God. 
So that couldn't be more true in some ways than about our money, our finances, how we feel about God with our finances, and how Americans feel about other things with their finances. So I went into some discretionary spending after housing and groceries and income tax and all those other things. What do Americans spend money for? What are they feeling good about? And so I got some categories of reference here from 2018, 2019, 2020. And so here are some of them, uh, some statistics from th those years. Cosmetics, how do they feel about looking good? 49 plus billion dollars. That's where we're spending to look good in this country. I want to feel good about how I look. And then the next one was pets, 99 billion. So I was thinking, well, some people would rather walk their dog than look good because it's twice as much money for their pets. And I was then, thinking they put the makeup on their pets. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah, well, there are a lot of pet places out there to pamper them, you know. So um, then sports and sporting events, $100 billion people feel good about sports. And then gambling. You see, we're going upwards in this whole thing. $240 billion people like to gamble. And alcohol, $253 uh, billion. And then this blew me away. Charitable giving. 310 billion. I said, ooh, everybody's feeling good towards God honoring. Oh, uh, no. Got to realize you got to parse that out a little bit. And there's a lot of benevolences and charitable causes there that aren't included in giving to God. So I boiled it down to what does it look like for a church? People in a church on charitable giving. And this includes churches like this one that I'm going to talk about right now. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. We could raise that bar, couldn't we? 80% of Americans only give 2% to their church. Hmm, we could raise that bar a little, a lot. The next one is the average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant congregations is about $17 a week. You go to McDonald's and you're going to spend that in a hurry. And then this one blew me away, almost brought tears to my eyes. 37% of regular church attendees, including evangelicals, don't give any money at all to the church, except in a pressing, pressing need. So Pastor Nicole, our, our, the, the passage you chose for today is a message that our church in America needs to hear. Our finances reveal in large measure how we feel towards God. Yeah. And Jesus put it this way, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I don't think God is feeling very honored by a lot of churches today. Yeah, that's good. I think it's so interesting. Um, this is so such a crucial proverb because if we say we love God, which I think we do, right? You're probably here today because you say that you love God. Um, the first and greatest commandment is to love God, but to truly love him is to keep this command and obey him, particularly when it comes to our resources and our finances. And so it's really important to really settle this in ourselves and settle it in our relationship with God. So there are two words in that first verse that are really the, the center of this passage. The first word is honor, and the second word is wealth. So tell us a little bit about honor. What does it mean, okay. and how, um, you know, how does that apply to who we are? Okay, let's go to the root word in Hebrew there. Honor means to be heavy, to be weighty. And every time I think I'm a few extra pounds, I think about this word, uh, to be <laughs> uh, weighty, to be heavy. But no, the word really conveys the idea of being super important, of being valuable, of being really worth something. Now, it's interesting, the same word for honor is used in Hebrew for the word glory, translated over 200 times. 
And this is the same word that comes at us in two different directions. When we honor God, it's something we do for God. We give him respect. We prize him highly. We acknowledge and declare his worth. We treat him well. When we look at God's glory, it's not something we do for him. It's something he already has. He already has glory. He already is magnificent beyond description. He dwells in unapproachable light called the Shekinah glory of God. Folks, we can't add anything to who God is and what God is, but we can honor him. We can honor him. In verse 9, we're told to honor God and to treat him with ultimate respect and deference. And there are many ways we can honor God, but it's looking at honoring God here through our finances. But before we look at that, I want you to understand there are two aspects to honoring God. Number one is our attitude. Our attitude. Do we have other competing interests? Are we casual towards him or cavalier? Or is God super important to us? Do we prize him above everything? Do we acknowledge him in all our ways? Do we have a constant attitude of worship before him? And that triggers the thought, worship. The old English word was worth-ship. And it captured it more than what we do with the word worship. Worship was about ascribing the value of God and lifting him up and exalting his name. Worth, he is worthy more than any other being in all the universe. Worship. And so our attitude is about worshiping God as high. And then that leads to the second aspect of honoring God. You've already mentioned it, our behavior. Our behavior. Do we value him by how we treat him? Do we show him love by loving him and not loving the things of this world? Do we show him how much we love him by our behavior? And so we have two aspects of honoring, attitude, which leads to our behavior, because we want to please him in everything. That's really good. So if honoring is the type of attitude we should have about our wealth, how would you define wealth? What is that for us? Is it just our money or in our bank account? Well, no, or? no. And I, I want you all to pay attention here because it's really important. This, this one, if we don't understand the word wealth right in this verse, we're going to make some applicational mistakes in how we live. I don't prefer the translation wealth. I'm not a biblical scholar, but, you know, I've done a lot of studying and so forth on this. And the translations like the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, they translate it wealth. But if you move to the CSB and the King James, they translate it, I think, a little bit more accurately. The CSB calls it substance, excuse me, calls it possessions. And the King James Version calls it substance. And you want to understand that in the Hebrew, it means substance. It means possessions that are justly or honestly acquired. So why is this translation so important? Well, if it says wealth, and you say, well, I'm not wealthy, doesn't apply to me. But I want you to understand that couldn't be further from the truth. The word wealth here is talking about the sum total of all that we own, all that we possess, our house, our cars, our boats, our income, our collections, our hobbies, our savings, our investments. Did I leave anything out? <laughs> we all have some of these things to a greater or lesser extent. And so it's important to understand that whatever we have and all that we have is our wealth. Now, there's an important scriptural principle to understand when we look at words like this. It's the principle of interpretation called Scripture interprets Scripture. 
And so the Bible is one unified book by one author, right? The Holy Spirit. So if you go to other places in the Bible and it talks about the same thing, you bring those ideas back to the word or the verse you're looking at, and it sheds light on that. And I had a field day in Proverbs. I sat down on a couple of nights and I wrote down by hand every verse that had anything to do with wealth, finances, and money. I came up with 153, and it was shedding light like crazy on what wealth is about. He so, showed it to me. It's actually handwritten <laughs> out. He had the list. It was I, pretty impressive. I took a picture of it, and I emailed, because I'm yeah. learning, you know, learning how to do these modern techniques. It was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so, but other scriptures uh, led me into some insight about wealth here in this verse. Number one, wealth is not being about rich that we honor God when we have a pile of money. In this ver verse, wealth is just all about our assets, great or small. So it's not about a pile of money at all. The second thing is, wealth is relative. Now, we may, don't, we may think we don't have much, or we may think that the person's down the street in that big house really has a lot. We don't have anything like that. In fact, a few years ago, um, you know, I'm, I'm not retired yet. COVID took me out and it has me on the bench a little bit, but I'm still not retired. But I went to a retirement accountant. I said, get my affairs in order and so forth. And he said, well, this is called wealth management. I laughed. I said, I didn't come in here. I'm not a wealthy man, but they call it wealth. It's all relative. It really is. Listen, if you've ever been to Haiti, Africa, the Philippines, those kind of things, you understand that we live like kings. The poor of us in this church live like kings compared to many of them over there. And yet this applies to them. They also have wealth, whatever they have there to manage for God, which leads me to the third one. We are managers, not owners of what we have. Whatever God has given it, little or small, we are to manage for his glory. We are to make God feel good about how we take care of his assets. So this idea of giving 10% to God and the rest is mine is nonsense. It is all the Lord's given. He's entrusted to us to manage for his glory. And when we understand this principle, now we can go on to other things Proverbs says, and I'll be quick. Number four, we are not to be greedy for more for ourselves. We're to use what we have to help the poor when, they see, when we see a need. We're to honor God through our generosity. And if we don't do that, we actually dishonor God when we accumulate more and more for ourselves. Billionaire John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much is enough? And he replied, what? More. More. Yeah. yeah. More. Yep. Have you ever considered that when God gives you more, he's giving you more to help others? Hmm. See, this is what it's all about here, to be generous. And then number five, true wealth is not measured in our substance and our possessions. It's in our intimate relationship with God, how tight we are. And we are tight. You know, if I gain the world and lose the Savior, I'm a pauper. We must come to the realization of what spiritual riches are compared to material wealth, so says Proverbs. So good. So it says to honor the Lord with our wealth. And then the next verse talks about to honor the Lord with your first, first fruits. fruits. So what does that mean? What does first fruits mean? Well, it's interesting because um, this proverb says, give to the Lord the first fruits of your crop. And that is actually a theme throughout the scripture. God wants the first spot. That's the theme. 
God wants the first spot, and he deserves the first position in our lives. Matthew 6.33 says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added to you. And so putting God first in your life establishes his lordship. And if Jesus isn't first in your life, then he's not Lord of your life. He can't be Lord of your life somewhere in there. He has to be first to be Lord of your life. And what this principle teaches us is that whatever is done with the first fruit determines what happens to all the rest. You give God the first fruit and he blesses what's left. And so that's why we take the tithe out of the hole. You do that first. You don't, you don't wait to see and give what's left over. You do that first. And I think this is the same concept on a lot of things in our life. I thought of this week coming to the house of God. How many of you, uh, you come to church on Sunday, the first day of the week, and the other six days are blessed? You miss for some reason. The week feels that you missed it. <laughs> Can you feel it when you miss worshiping with other people? Can you feel it when you miss being in the presence of God? You give God the first and he blesses the rest. Uh, many of you, we talk about spending time with the Lord the very beginning of the day. Why is that? You give God those first moments and he blesses the rest. This is a, a principle in the scripture of the first fruits. God does not deserve our leftover wealth or resources. God does not deserve our leftover time. Uh, God is not meant to be squeezed in if it works in our schedule or giving if, if, it, if we have enough at the end. He deserves the first position. And what I love about the Lord and what I love about this principle is God did, it, God did himself what he's asking us to do. Okay, God did himself what he's asking us to do. He gave his best to us. He gave Jesus, his first and only son, that's what he gave to us. He didn't come up with an alternative plan that, that he could give something that was less valuable. He gave us the very best of who of what he loved and what he had. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 uses the word first fruits in relationship to Christ. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And I love how God is showing us here that what happens to the first fruits happens to the rest. Are you following it? Jesus rose from the dead first. Whatever happens to the first fruits happens to the rest. And therefore, we can be assured that God's blessing is on the whole harvest. We are the rest of the harvest. And we can and we will experience freedom from death in the grave. And we can overcome. And all of these things can happen to us because Jesus did it first on the cross. And he was the first fruit. And so if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we too will be resurrected someday, just like the first fruit of that harvest. And so I love, I actually learned this on the trip uh, to Israel when I went with Al. Um, I learned this information, but it was so life-changing for me um, that in Israel they have a feast, and the entire feast is called Feast of the First Fruits. And it's observed the day after the Sabbath following Passover each uh, following Passover after it's over. And this is significant because Jesus rose from the dead on the day that the Feast of the First Fruits began. Isn't that amazing? God's so good. Even in history, he makes his point clear that Jesus Christ rising from the dead is the first fruits of what God had given us. So as we go on, uh, Pastor Al, verse 10 talks about barns and vats. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. How do we translate that into our lives if we don't yeah, have either of them? Yeah, that's so important. Verse 10 uh, is saying if we honor God with our possessions and tithes, he'll bless us. 
That's what it's saying. If we honor him, he will bless us. And the converse is true. If we don't honor God with our possessions and our tithes, we may have money and holdings, but we'll have poverty of spirit. We won't be tight with God. By the way, the blessings in verse 10 ought not to be the motivation. Lord, if you give me all this, I'll honor you. That'll actually dishonor God That if our motives are wrong. So we gotta be very careful that we're not trying to get as a result of our giving. But I think the obvious question in verse 10 is this. Since we don't have barns and vats these days, what will the blessing of God look like? Scripture interprets scripture. So I go to the New Testament. Jesus and Paul. Jesus said, if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, if you honor him, all, your, all, this, will be, all, all this will be added unto you. And then Paul talked about the Philippian church. He said, you already honored God by giving a gift to the apostle Paul. Now look what God will do. He said, my God shall supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, I mean, this is, the, this is the New Testament version of what we're talking about today. Now, I want to venture an observation, though, about barns and vats and God's grace. Whether we honor God with our wealth and first fruits or not, God has given us to the overflow in this country. He really, really has. And we have to realize his grace and goodness to us in the overflow of things. My uh, father-in-law, 93, passed away a couple weeks ago. And we had a deal with his house. It was literally a barn and a vat. It was just loaded with things going on there. And he was a man of modest means. He didn't have a lot. And he gave of his first fruits, and he honored God with his wealth his entire life. And he didn't have that much. And so we walked into his house to clean it out. It was overflowing with stuff. And we had a deal with all the stuff in the barns and the vats. That made Marie and I look at our house. Our barns and vats are overflowing too. I mean, we, and I bet you if I went to yours, yours would be too. And we have these overflowing barns and vats. God is so good. So Marie and I understood it. We're not used to looking at it. We just don't see it. We're out there spending more and more to get more and more of this stuff, you know? But uh, what we decided was we're going to clean out our barns and vats. We're not going to make our kids do it. It's <laughs> a lot of work there. A couple personal stories, and I'll be done. When I was in high school, I didn't have a lot of money. My parents didn't have a lot of money. They, they weren't, uh, they, they had little. And I wanted to go to a youth retreat. And in those days, it cost $15. That was a bargain uh, by these standards, but a whole lot of money back then. And so I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money. And finally, the last night I had to register was the night we went to church for a Sunday evening service. They did used to have Sunday evening services, you know. And uh, so um, I had to re register that night. It was the last night to register. And um, I had $15. That's all I had. Offering time. And they presented a pressing need. And the Spirit of God said, when that offering plate passes you by, put it all in. Put it all in. It alarmed me. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't like that, Lord. That's not a word I'd like from you tonight because I don't have anything. I won't be able to go to the retreat. That offering, the ushers came closer and closer down the pews into where I was. And the offering plate came down. My heart is pumping really, really hard. Do I put it in or do I not put it in? The offering plate came to me. What did I do? I let it go and I kept the money. As soon as the service was over, an older lady came up to me and she said, Al, during the offering, I looked over at you and the Lord said, give him $15 or give, uh, give me this money. I opened it up. It was $15. That was a loving rebuke from the Lord I have never forgot. It has marked me for life. And the Lord prompted me and my wife ever since 
to be that kind of uh, sensitivity. We struggle, but we decided the first day of our marriage, we've been married now over 50, almost 51 years now. We decided, thank you. We decided to honor God to make him feel good with our possessions and our first fruits, even in lean times. We are testimonies that God has always blessed us and even surprised us with overflow. We are living proof that Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is true. Somebody amen. say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So good. Well, this has been so good. We could talk so much more about this even particular proverb, but uh, we'll leave them hanging right now, all right? <laughs> yeah. um, so I just want to thank you for coming to share with us. As people of God, we need to honor God with our wealth in every season of our lives. So would you stand? I'm going to ask Pastor Al if you would pray over us to live out this scripture well. Um, if you're comfortable, would you just extend your hand like this to receive this prayer? And um, Pastor Al, would you just pray that we would honor God uh, with everything that we have oh, and everything yes. that we are? Oh, Father, thank you for all your blessings. We are having the results of manifold gifts from heaven above in our lives. Help us never to think that we have gotten all this with our own might and our own strength. Mm -hmm. That's the first step in forgetting you, oh, Lord. Just give us a gratitude and help us not to cling and to grasp. Jesus didn't grasp on to his equality with God. He, he, he gave it over and he came to earth as the first fruits. Oh, Father, help Amen. us to have that spirit. Help us to honor you by reaching out to others in need and to make sure that we are stewarding the kingdom yes. of God yes. through our giving. Yes. And so, Father, I pray your blessing, mm -hmm. material and spiritual, on this congregation as they walk in honoring you and obeying you in all things, including this matter of wealth and first fruits. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Praise Amen. the Lord. Thank you. Thank God you. bless you. Thank you for listening to the Area First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.